Me, would you? Thank you, Valerie. It's a good word. Everybody alert? If you're going to go to sleep in here, I'm going to come get you and just ask you to go. It's not respectful. Amen? Got feedback again, TJ. All right. Let's look at a couple of verses here. And I want to share with you on the subject, Christmas is part one in a two-act play. Christmas is part one in a two-act play. All right, let's look at that up there. And here's a story out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. All this took place that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Now look what the prophet Isaiah said. It's amazing. Behold, the virgin shall become pregnant. And a virgin will give birth to a son. Well, that's impossible unless God is involved. That's supernatural. That's the Christmas story. Now, you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Aren't you glad God is with you? God's not against you. That's not the Christmas message. He's, he's with you. He's for you. Now, look at this prediction about Jesus, because here's two right in a row. One, he'll be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. He will appear as a baby. But now here's John speaking in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. What an amazing prediction. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen, so be it. What a powerful, powerful vision John had. I'm going to talk to you about these distinctions, these two different appearances of Jesus, and then about Act 2, which is soon to come. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word today and pray that you will help our faith to grow, to be inspired, to look up, and to be strengthened by your word today. Thank you for the soon appearing of Jesus Christ in his name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him he's coming soon. Now, I, I had, just real quickly, I had somebody years ago, I wasn't here, but years ago I had somebody that came every Sunday and went to sleep. And one day I decided, well, here goes, and I walked right up to him. <laughs> Some of you are going, uh-oh, I'm awake, Pastor Jeff, I am awake. And I, they never slept again. Amen. Now, I want you to notice that Isaiah predicted the coming of Jesus via a virgin. That's the Christmas story. That's the miracle of Christmas. Jesus came via a virgin. The prophet said, a virgin will conceive. What an amazing thing. A virgin will conceive. But now notice that John had a vision. And in John's vision, he saw something else. He didn't see the baby Jesus appearing in a manger as a little baby. That had already happened in John's day. John saw another appearance. And that appearance was Jesus Christ coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Not via a virgin, but in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because the same Bible 
gave us two different events, two completely different events, two completely different appearances of Messiah. Two different ones. A suffering Messiah and a Messiah coming in great glory. The Bible shows both. The Bible shows a lamb and then a lion. Jesus coming as the lamb of God and then as the lion of Judah. Two appearances. A despised Messiah and a celebrated Messiah. Both things. A baby appearing in Bethlehem and a king appearing in the clouds. Both events predicted in the Bible by the prophets of God and even by the Lord Jesus Christ himself who said, I will come again. Two different appearances in two completely different contexts, both found in the same Bible that has John 3.16 that predicts that God gave the world or gave his only begotten son that the whole world might be saved through him. Now, what the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, many of the minor prophets, what they did not realize at the time was that the Messiah was to come in two distinct appearances. God's plan required two distinct appearances. Once to suffer for our sins and a second time to gather his people into his kingdom and to judge an unbelieving world. The Bible says he'll come as a baby and he'll die on a cross. That's the suffering Messiah. Then the Bible says he will return again. And when he returns again, he will come to judge the nations and to gather his own people to himself. So guess what? The Christmas we just celebrated is part one of a two-act play. I want you to realize today that God's not done with the Christmas story. Thank God that the little baby was born in Bethlehem. Thank God for Jesus coming to the world. But that's only the first act. That's only the first half. Right now we're in intermission. And the second act is about to begin. I can almost see the lights dimming in the auditorium. That's how close we are. I can hear the ushers saying, return to your seats. The players are in place for the final scene. The curtain's about to rise on act two. He'll come as a baby, but he'll also return to earth. And I want you to know today, church, that a lot of, a lot of preachers and a lot of pulpits no longer preach this, and God forgive them, and, and God help them. Because if you can preach the Christmas story that Jesus was born of a baby or born a baby in the town of Bethlehem, the God-man and the man-God via a virgin supernaturally conceived, then you've got to preach act two because act two is on the horizon. Can I tell you today by the word of God, Jesus, according to the scriptures, is about to return again. Now, let me, let me tell you what act two will be, will be like because act two is just about upon us. What is going to transpire in Act 2, the second part of the fulfillment of the Son of God? The Bible is super abundantly clear about it. First of all, Jesus will return suddenly and unexpectedly. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. These are his very own words. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming... He would not have kept, or he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. You don't know the day, you don't know the hour, but the Lord is going to come again. 
And out of his own mouth, he said, like a thief in the night, suddenly, unexpectedly, when no one has the date, the day, the hour, the week, no one knows but God the Father in heaven. But the fact that he will come again is just as certain as his first appearance in Bethlehem in the form of the baby Jesus. 2 Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. We are not in a world that is experiencing evolutionary change for the better. We're not in a world that is that is really based on evolution at all. We have been created by God. And guess what? The Bible says that there will be an end of time. Time as we know it, history as we know it, humanity as we know it, civilization as we know it, will come to a close. And it will come to a close by the appearing of Jesus Christ in the clouds of glory. Scripture says that Act 2 will be sandwiched in between two major events. And here they are. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Act two is comprised of those two major things. And so we need to talk about them today. Because if you're a believer, you ought to be getting excited. Jesus said, when you see all these things coming to pass, lift up your eyes for your redemption draws nigh. Get your eyes on heaven. So there are two separate events, and I want to explain this today. A lot of people don't understand this. Two separate events. One, the rapture of the church, and the other is the second coming of Christ. The rapture of the church will happen suddenly, unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. The world at large will never know that it took place. They will not see the return of Jesus to catch his church away. But the second coming of Christ, as we read a little while ago, will be seen by every eye. He will return in the clouds. Every nation, every person will see him. All the nations of the world will mourn because of him. They will beat their breasts and they will wail because they will realize it was true, the gospel was true, and I'm about to be judged. The rapture and the second coming, two separate events. Let's talk about the rapture. The word rapture is taken from a Latin verb meaning to be seized or to be caught up. The catching up of the church, the rapture of the church is imminent. The Bible says the rapture will take place a few years before Christ's visible return to earth, before Jesus comes to gather the nations of the world in front of him and to set up his earthly kingdom. Before that takes place, there will be a rapture, a seizing, a catching up of the church to meet the Lord in the air. In the second coming, Jesus returns in a way that is completely and totally visible, completely known by everybody, but not the rapture. Listen to Paul's description of the rapture of the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says it will happen in a moment. It'll be sudden, quick, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are alive and living will will also be transformed. In a moment, suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye. Some of the Thessalonian believers were grieved and hurting over loved ones that had gone on to be with the Lord. This last week, I I presided over three funerals, people that had been in this church. There's three people not here. They had suddenly gone to be with the Lord for different reasons. 
And in every one of those funerals, I share this verse that we are not as those who have no hope. We do not grieve as those who do not know God. We are not as those who have no faith and no hope in a world to come. No, we know a Savior who is the Savior of the body and the Savior of the soul. And Paul wrote this to Thessalonian believers who were grieving over loved ones who had died. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first out of the grave. Folks, there's going to be a day when cemeteries are emptied out. There's going to be a day when many, many come out of that grave. And the Bible goes on to say, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There is going to be a rapture, a catching up, a seizing up of those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, the rapture of the church. Now, The Bible's real clear about characteristics of this rapture. Let me just share a few of them with you. It says, we shall not all sleep. That was the New Testament word for those who have died. Paul said, it's like sleep. That is, you're not gone forever. He did not put an eternal goodbye to it. He said, they sleep. We shall not all sleep. And that means there will be some believers alive at the time of the rapture. I don't know if I'm going to be or not. I'm looking forward to that day if I am, because I will be and then I will not be. Those of you that are here that have not ever put your faith in Christ, the day could come that I'm up here preaching and suddenly I'm gone. And a lot of people in here are gone too. If that ever happens, the altar is open. Now, what would really be bad is if I'm preaching and some of you disappear and I'm still here preaching. (laughs) Then believe me, I'm in the altar. But we shall be changed. He says, not only shall some who are still alive be caught up off the earth in a moment's time, but he says, we shall all be changed. That refers to the resurrection body we will receive. I've got good news for you. Jesus is going to give believers a resurrected, glorified body, something that Elaine Powers and Curves cannot give you. You're not going to have to work out anymore. You can give up the vitamins. You're not going to have to worry about your weight. You're not going to have to worry about your health. You will receive a glorified body in the rapture of the church. Paul hung his whole life on this reality. He said, if this is not true, we are of all men most to be pitied. But it is true. There will be a resurrection of the body. When the trumpet blows, we shall receive a glorified body. John said, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we do know this, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, what was his glorified body like? Well, Jesus ate fish, but then he walked through locked doors. I believe that in heaven we will think and be where we want to be. There will be no pain, no more sorrow, no more headaches, no more sickness, no more medicine, no more disease, no more cancer, no more nothing. And if you're a Christian, you need to know this. The day is coming when God's going to give you a brand new body. We shall be changed. Metamorphuo, the Greek word. We shall be changed from what we are to what we shall be. 
It says it'll happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That word moment comes from the Greek word atomos. And atomos is what we get Adam from. And what it means is a moment of time that is so quick you can't divide it. The rapture of the church is not going to be a long, drawn-out process of evacuation. Some go here, some go there, some go now, some go later. No, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a wink and a blink, in a camera flash, faster than that, you will be and then you will not. Boy, it's quiet in the house of God today. This is exactly what the Bible teaches. I'm sharing with you what the word of God says. The dead in Christ, believers who have died previous to the rapture, will be raised out of the grave first. Then those who are still alive will be taken up together. Now listen to this. Will be taken up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Now you know what that's telling us? The rapture will be a rendezvous for living and dead Christians. That's why when I preach a Christian funeral, I don't say goodbye forever. I tell the family, this is only a temporary goodbye. And I really do believe that. And the reason I believe that is because the Bible teaches that. You see, that's why Jesus came. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He conquered the grave. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He defanged the devil. He defeated him. He made an open show of him, made a fool of him. And now there is a heaven coming. It's a little story I tell at funerals all all the time. And I'll share it with you. Many of you have heard it. But a father and daughter were driving down the highway one day. And and uh, as it was a beautiful spring day. The windows were down and a little eight-year-old girl and a dad. And they're driving down the highway. And all of a sudden, a bee flew into the window. And when the, blue, the bee flew in, they got really, really uptight. And the little girl began to scream, Daddy, Daddy, the bee's going to sting me. The bee's going to sting me. And he said, no, no, honey, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. That bee will go back out the window. Don't worry. It's okay. But the bee kept flying up into the front and flying around the little girl. She kept panicking, kept getting afraid. Finally, the dad, weary of hearing her fear, reached out and grabbed the bee. And it stung him in the hand. And then he opened his hand and let the bee out and said, There, baby, he can't sting you anymore. Now, let me tell you what Jesus did. The Bible says that Jesus on the cross took death for us. The bee was death. The bee that hovered in the car of life. And the Bible says terrorized people day and night. And the Bible says that men are afraid of death all their life long, afraid of that bee that's in the car. What is going to happen to me when I die? Where am I going to go when I die? Is there anything later when I die? Is there an eternity when I die? Jesus hung on the cross. And here's the bee flying around. And the Bible says he took death, grabbed it by the hand. It stung him. He died. But you know what he said? There, baby, the bee can't sting you anymore. Now listen, when you put your faith in him, you say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and Lord. Death can't hold you. 
The grave can't hold you. Death does not have a final victory over you because Jesus took death. He took the sting. He rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we will rise from the dead. And God says to every believer today, there, baby, the the, the sting won't come to you anymore. The stinger has been taken by me. You are free. Can you say with me, victory over death? Now, in light of this prediction of the rapture of the church, there's another event in Act 2 of the Christmas story that's going to take place. And here it is. This is what the Bible says. And some of you don't know this, but here goes. Millions of people, according to the Word of God, will suddenly vanish without a trace. When the rapture of the church happens, and only God knows when it will, Jesus warned of this very thing. Listen to what he said. I'm quoting the red ink, the words of Jesus. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Jesus said that. A husband will wake up and the wife will be gone. A wife will wake up and the husband will be gone. A couple will wake up and some of the children will be gone. There will be no finding them because they are not. This is what the Bible predicts. Jesus himself said it. In the book, Bible Prophecy 101, the authors lay out the following hypothetical scenario of what it might be like when Jesus returns to gather his church. Here goes. Jumbo jets plummet to earth as they no longer have a pilot at the controls. Driverless buses, trains, subways, and cars will cause unimaginable disaster as people will suddenly vanish. Classrooms will suddenly be without teachers and teachers will suddenly see some students gone. Doctors and nurses will seem to abandon their patients in the middle of surgical operations and patients will vanish from operating tables. Can you imagine that? You ought to pray that way. If you're on an operating table, God takes you, saves you a lot of money and a lot of pain. But I'm being very, very serious here. This is a hypothetical, but the Bible says one will be taken, the other left. One will be taken, the other left. The Bible predicts this. Children disappear from their beds. People run through the streets looking for missing family members who were there just moments before. Panic grips every household, every city, and every country. Massive disappearance. Unexplainable, inexplicable. Where did they all go? The missing persons bureau of police stations all over the world will be flooded with frantic phone calls. I'm going to tell you what I believe. Many who are going to remember what loved ones told them about Jesus are going to panic. And it's going to begin to dawn on them, my gosh, my Lord, it was true. All of the 24-hour news channels will be dominated by what they might call the great disappearance. Can't you see CNN, MSNBC? Can't you see all the cable networks trying to come up with an answer, sending their reporters out? Where did they all go? All kinds of conspiracy theories will crop up. It's a political maneuver. It's a religious maneuver. It's a game that's being played on us. And the Bible says... At the moment that the church is gone, the Antichrist will step on the scene. And God, according to Thessalonians, will send a great delusion 
to the world. And that delusion, part of it, I believe, will be to somehow explain away and forget about and ignore and erase the disappearance of all these people. Well, they they did it themselves. This is a conspiracy. Don't worry about it. Now, you might be thinking, Jeff, do you really believe this? How can this possibly happen? Well, look, if you believe in God, it's easy to believe this. If you don't believe in God, sure, you're stumbling over it. If you don't believe in God, you can't believe in the virgin birth. And if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you're not saved. God didn't tell you to believe on some good man who said good things, who walked around wearing sandals, sort of a first century hippie, cool type guy. No. Jesus never left us that option. Jesus called himself God. Jesus called himself the Savior of the world. When he was worshipped by others, he never stopped it. And when people called him God, he never rebuked them. Jesus never denied who he was. Either he was a raving, frothing lunatic, or he was the Son of God. You can't put him anywhere in between. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good person. He was not just a good teacher or philosopher or inspirational personality. He did not leave us that option. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. So, yes, I believe it. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, there's already been two dress rehearsals of the rapture. Really, Pastor Jeff, where? Well, here's one in Hebrews 11.5. We're told of an Old Testament man named Enoch who was snatched from the earth by God himself. Listen to what the Bible says. By faith, Enoch was taken away. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. He was not found. You know what that tells me? There was a hunt for him. His wife was looking for him. His kids looking for him. His neighbors and friends looking for him. Enoch was not found. They could not find him. He didn't go off somewhere and hide. The Bible says that he had faith in God and God decided to take him. Now, when you see something like that in the Old Testament, it is a foreshadowing. It's a type. It's a shadow of what is to come. God was showing us, when I want to take somebody, I know their name, their number, I know who they are, and I will take them. I can remove them from the planet without death. And the prophet Elijah was also taken from the earth without ever dying. Dress rehearsal number two. The Bible says, then it happened as Elijah and Elisha continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated them. Notice God knew exactly who he wanted and exactly who he would leave. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven while Elisha watched. God said, it's time for my servant to come. So he sent his power, his angels. They they separated the two, left Elisha standing there and took Elijah up. Jesus said, one will be taken, the other will be left. You know, most people don't really know what Jesus said. Most people don't really know what he said about himself. Our country really doesn't know much about Jesus. Though they say they're Christian, they're really not. Many of them are not at all. They don't walk with God. But let me just give you a little taste of what Jesus said. Because Jesus said, I'm going to raise people from the dead. Did you know he said that? John 6, 40. 
For this is my Father's will and his purpose, that everyone who sees the Son and believes and cleaves to and trusts in and relies on him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. The same Jesus in John 3.16 said that. He said, I'm going to raise them up. I'm going to be the author of resurrection. He showed us he could do it. Lazarus dies. He's in the tomb for four days, four nights. He's been embalmed. He he is dead as dead can be. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. He spoke down into the tomb and Lazarus was raised from the dead, came walking out, had the grave clothes taken off of him. And he's one of the few men in history that enjoyed two funerals. Can you imagine? But watch this now. Jesus raised him from the dead. The dead. And what was he saying there? He was saying the day is going to come when every believer that is in the grave is going to hear my voice and come out. Powerful words. Act two. It's about to take place. What a day that'll be. What a day that you'll get up and you'll say, Well, another day of work, nine to five, here I go. God bless you, honey. God bless your kids. Get in your car. You're driving down the highway. Somewhere along the way, poop. The trumpet will sound. And some of you ladies, oh, I'm I'm a homemaker. I just stay home, take care of the kids. You're going to be cleaning up. You're going to be washing some clothes. You're going to be singing a hymn. You're going to have prayed that day, I hope. You're, you're, You're going to have been in the Word, we hope. The Bible says, don't be ashamed at his coming. You're just going to be doing the everyday, everyday, same old, same old, and boom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This isn't what I say. This is exactly what the Bible says. Now, here's the important question. Since the Lord can distinguish between people, and, he, and one will be taken and the other left, and he knows exactly who he's coming for, and why they're going and why the other is left. Who will be taken and who will be left behind in Act 2 of the Christmas story? The Bible is very clear about that. And I want to be very clear today. Only those who have turned to Christ by faith for the forgiveness of their sins will be taken. So, but Pastor Jeff, I'm a good person. Surely he'll take me. No, he will not. Because you're a sinner. No, no, I'm not. Never had a traffic ticket. But yeah, but you've broken the commandments. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever said something untrue about somebody? The Bible says if you've broken one commandment, you have broken them all. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that does good, no, not one. Your righteousness is to God as filthy rags. You will not be accepted into the kingdom of God by your own good works. It cannot happen. If you could do that, he didn't need to come and die for our sins. And I want to be blunt today. Muhammad can't save you. Buddha can't save you. Krishna can't save you. There is no other world religious leader that will stand there with you next to God and say, I'm going to bat for them because none of them can. There is only one way to get your sin washed away. And it is in the blood of Jesus. Only he died for you. He was God's sacrifice lamb. He's the one that rose from the dead. There's not another one. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. If you do, I go to prepare a place for you and and I will come again. 
and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Who will he come for? Those who have believed in him also. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I'll tell you one more quick funeral story. The great evangelist, D.L. Moody, from the 1800s, he was the first one to pioneer mass evangelism in, in uh, England and, and America. He was preached to great crowds of people. He was a former shoe salesman in Chicago who God saved, and he became an international evangelist. He was preaching one time in London, and word got out, of course, in all the papers in London in the 1800s that the great D.L. Moody was coming, and a little boy heard about it, about nine years old. This little boy said, oh, I'm going to go hear Mr. Moody. So the little boy began to walk. He was poor. He was what we would say on the other side of the tracks, so he began to walk. Walked all day. This is a true story, true history. It's in every one of D.L. Moody's biographies and autobiographies. The little boy walked. He walked all day long, got to the meeting that night, walked into the building, and could not get in. I said, sorry, son. It's a fire hazard. It's packed. There's not a seat left. But I've come all this way to hear Mr. Moody. Can't you find a seat? There is no seat. They're in the aisles. You're going to have to go. Are you sure? I'm sure. Sorry, son. He walked outside dejectedly, leaned up against the building, stooped down, and began to cry. Right about then, a horse and buggy pulls up. Out steps this big, burly man. Starts walking into the building. The man looks at him and says, Son, what's the matter? I've come all this way to hear Mr. Moody, and they won't let me in. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You grab my coattail. That was the day of the long coattail suits. The little boy said, huh? Grab my coattail and just follow me. The little boy gets up, grabs the coattail. They walk in. And instead of turning right to the crowd, the man turns left, starts going up on the stage. The little boy is just holding on to the coattail. He takes him up on the stage, says, sit right there, and points him to one of the chairs of honor, seating him there, little urchin boy. Then the man walked up and began to address the crowd, and the boy thought, it's him. It's Mr. Moody. Moody, never missing an illustration, said this, let me tell you what Jesus did for you. I just put this little boy, brought him into a building that he did not have the authority to come into. Seated him in a chair he'd have never sat in if I had not put him there. I made a way for him when there was no possible way he was locked out. That's what Jesus did for you. You know what Jesus says to you? It's not complicated. Take my coattail. Just take my coattail. Just put your faith in me. If, any, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you just took the coattail. And guess what's going to happen? When the rapture takes place, whoop, you're being taken up where you'd have never gone otherwise. And you know what? You're going to be put in a house you'd have never seen otherwise. 
And you're going to be in a place of glory forever that you'd have never gotten into if you had not taken the coattail of somebody who had the authority to go in. Christmas was a rescue mission. It was not just a neat holiday. I'm closing with this verse. It was a rescue mission from the judgment of God, which is certainly coming upon this country and upon this world. As surely as you're sitting in your chair, judgment is going to fall on this world. The Bible says this, and I close, And God will come with His mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God. Now listen, whose judgment coming on? Those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Who is saved? Those who put their faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will be punished with judgment that is eternal and be eternally separated from the living God? Those who refuse to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you with all of my heart today, if you're in here today as a visitor because of Christmas and you've never heard this, listen carefully to this preacher today. If you don't put your faith in him, you are lost. If you don't put your faith in him, you will die without God. If you don't put your faith in Jesus, you will face a fearsome judgment. But if you do, you've got hold of the coattail, and he's going to get you to glory. Can we stand together? I'm going to ask you to bow with me for just a moment of prayer. Say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've gotten away from Him. I've stepped away and I've drifted, I've strayed. And you know what? He's been talking to me. He's been touching my heart. He's been speaking to me in the quiet of my soul. Come home. And if you have never grabbed hold of the coattail, if you have never accepted Christ, You can do it right now, right now. You can leave having made peace with God. Now, I don't know who's here, who isn't here. I I don't know where everyone is spiritually. But I'm not going to close this service without giving you a chance to just put your faith in him. With our heads bowed, if you can say, Jeff, I don't know that I've ever done it. And I want to be sure today. I want to come home to him. Or I want to get right with him really for the first time. Either one. Would you just slip your hand up in the air today? I see you. Put them up high. God bless you. And you, many, several. Now this is what I'm going to do. I want to pray with you where you stand right now. And when the service is over, I'm going to stand in the front. And I want you to come down. I want you to meet me. And I want to have another prayer with you. And I don't want you to leave until we can do that, okay? Now, if you raise your hand, and all of us together, we can pray. Let's pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead on my behalf. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and believe in my heart you were raised from the dead. Be my Savior, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, 
Amen. I give the Lord a hand of praise today. There were several. Can you say with me, soon and very soon? Let's try it again. Soon and very soon. We're going to see the King. Give him a hand. Would you go ahead and worship the Lord?